First Peter chapter 2. We're going to be continuing in our series called Not Our Home, but I want to tell you guys just a little quick story about a friend of mine. Uh, Ashley Hoover, you remember Derek Snipes, right? Yeah, so Derek Snipes, he was in my uh, graduating class uh, in high school, and we graduated together, and he decided he wanted to go into the military. Anybody, like, want to go to the military in here, like, got plans for military? Yeah, you're looking at Navy, right? Or Marines, gotcha, gotcha, right. Anybody else looking, looking, at least, like, maybe thinking about military, like, you know? Andy, you thinking about the military, dude? Just shrug the shoulder for you. All right. Well, it's a good thought process. Anyway, so uh, my friend Derek went into the military. He went into the Army, and he went into basic training. And maybe a year after uh, he, we graduated, I was actually able to talk to him for a little bit. Uh, him and my friend Patrick, we talked to Derek for a little bit on the phone. Uh, and we were talking to him, and he's telling us the story about being at basic training and his drill sergeant uh, was a female. Her name was like Olivia something. I don't remember her full name. But if you know anything about the military, like when you address your superior officer, you address them by their superior officer title, right? You don't like, you're not like, hey, Olivia, what's up? You're like, hey, what's up, Sarge? Or not, you don't say what's up, Sarge, but yes, yeah, Sarge, you know, something like that. Uh, I'm not a military person. But anyway, one day he was doing, he was in basic training and they had to run 15 miles. I don't know about you guys, but after one mile, I'm pretty winded and ready to die and fall over. So 15 miles just sounds atrocious to me. It sounds crazy. It sounds totally out of this world. I would probably pass out and die on mile number five. Don't make me run a 5K. It'll take an hour. Uh, Not 20 minutes, but it'll take me an hour. Uh, But anyway, he runs 15 miles, and he said he was pretty winded. It was pretty tough. All the guys were kind of struggling a little bit. They were getting back to their original starting point, and the sergeant stood there. She was standing there and said, how are you guys feeling? And Derek responded with some naivety, naiveness, naivety, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, he responded in ignorance saying he was super pumped. He was ready. He was like, got to the finish line. He was so happy he got there. He was like, I'm doing great, Olivia. He was like, he, he knew as soon as he said it, he messed up. He really messed up. And she immediately, immediately was like, what did you just say to me? What did you just say? And then immediately she went, 10 more miles, go. And Derek ran 10 more miles. So he ran 25 miles. And he said at the last five miles, he just literally in his mind could not feel where he was at in the world. He was just running somewhere. He was just running, and that's all he ever knew in his life. And he said that, at the end of the 10 miles, after the 15 miles, he passed out and was uh, throwing up for the rest of the day. So that was really good. Uh, so, But he listened to his authorities. He understood the authority he was put under, and he was understanding that he had to listen to that authority because she had it in, well, what may have not have seemed like his best interest at the time, but she has his best interest in mind in terms of training him to become uh, a great military uh, officer or whatever he may be striving for in the military. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about submitting to our authorities and talking about those placed above us. So if you'll look with me here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 13 through 25. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to read a few verses, but go ahead and stand because we believe this is God's Word spoken to us. We want to respect that uh, for the reading of Scripture. So let me read verses 13 and uh, we'll see how far we get. It says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor 
as a supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of the foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, and honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel, for it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. Help us to observe it well and to do our best to analyze the meaning and interpretation so that we may know your truth more and that we may love you more because of that truth. God, we thank you uh, for all that you give us in life. Bless this time that we have together and let us continue to worship you uh, in every way possible in our lives. And God, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was looking for my coffee. I was scared. I was like, where did my coffee go? Oh, yes. There we go. Perfect. All right. Main idea of the text. Thank you, Anna Ginter, for writing, uh, rewriting my notes because everybody knows my handwriting is awful. Um, do you think it's worse than Matt's or better than Matt's? Is it? It's definitely better. Do you think that, Anna Ginter? You rewrite them every week. So is it better than Matt's or worse than Matt's? All right, anyway, so uh, she, even, she even gave you a little note here. We all suffer with something. With something, what are you suffering? Okay, anyway, so a little, little note there, a little uh, note of encouragement. Main idea of the text, we suffer under authorities outside of our home in or, or for the one who gives us a home. We suffer under authorities outside our home for the one who gives us a home. We're in this series called Not Our Home. And we're looking at First Peter, and we're uh, looking at what Peter's talking about in the sense that we are living in this world, and as Christians, we see the world and its brokenness and everything that's wrong with it, and realize to ourselves that this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not where I belong. And so we live now in this time not, in, not being in our home in order to look forward to this new coming home that God has for us in heaven. But we live here in this kind of time between uh, the resurrection and between uh, when we go and see God in this time of kind of awkwardness, this time of realizing that we are still sinful and this time that we are still seeing brokenness. And so what do we do with our lives in the midst of that? What do we do uh, in, in uh, preparation as we live now? And so we're going to be talking about this idea of submitting to authority. So my first point is... Something to authorities. Anybody want to take a guess at the word? Submit or submission is uh, what I put down, but yeah, that is the same idea. That you is kind of looking wonky, but you know, not bad. All right, anyway. So read with me in verse 13. It says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether it be to the emperor as the supreme authority. Or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those to, who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submission to authorities. The Lord has put authorities in our life. He's put people above us. God is our ultimate authority in heaven. 
But at the same time, we have people in our lives who are our authorities and who uh, challenge us and who uh, give us things to do and tell us to do things. And oftentimes it can be for our good, but oftentimes it might be not for our good. What are some authorities that we may have in our lives? Just give me a few examples. Yeah. Teachers. Yeah. Teachers in school. Jack. Donald Trump. As, as hilarious as it is, uh, you know, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. He has a power and authority over us as citizens of America. At the same time, we have a republic democracy, and so we have a place in government as well in terms of our own uh, vote and that sort of thing. But we, ha- as voters, have placed Donald Trump in that authority. Now, of course, some people don't like that we've done that, but it is what it is. So, and we live with it. Uh, I'm not going to start getting political. Actually, I am going to talk about politics in a second, but what are other authorities in our lives? Say that again. Coaches, yeah. If you play a sport, what would you say? Bosses, like at work, yeah. Bosses at work. Parents, right? Jenny Hoover, you're a parent. One of your children is sitting next to you, and you are the authority over your child, although she is free now. She is uh, older now and is able to make her own decisions, but... Yeah, it, it becomes a lot more interesting, right? Uh, so from the teenage years now to adult age, um, sometimes my mother can tell me to do things, and to this day I'll still be like, hmm, I don't know about that. But anyway, so we have some, we have some authorities in our lives, and Peter gives an example of the emperor uh, and the governor and people that are in power in this time in the early church era, and so uh, we can kind of relate this into our own government. We have people in government that we may not like, We have people in politics uh, who we may not enjoy as much, and we look at people like Donald Trump, and we're like, oh my gosh, he does all this, and he says this, and he's going in all this. Like, you've got this impeachment, so he was impeached in the House, but then they voted for it in the Senate, and he wasn't, he was acquitted, so it means he wasn't removed from his office, but like, man, he's done all this stuff, like, how can we, like, trust him? Or maybe some people are like, Donald Trump is the best thing that's ever had, the best thing that's ever happened in the country, he's done all these good things, look at the economy, like, and there's arguments on both sides about it. We get in arms about it, we get up in arms about it and it's going crazy. Maybe back uh, several years ago when Obama was president, some people were like, oh my gosh, Obama, look what he's doing. He's doing all this. He's saying all this. He says this and then goes and does this thing. Like, oh my gosh, like, what the heck? And then other people are like, well, he's the greatest president ever. You're like, he's awesome. Like, why are you hating on on Obama? And so you have this uh, kind of mentality that we want to question those who are in our our authoritative figures in our lives. We want to question those who are above us in power. And oftentimes I think that desire to not submit to those authorities that God has given us is because we have a pride that we think we can do better or that we know better. Obviously, if we look at someone like Donald Trump and say, like, yeah, that, you shouldn't do that. Like, that, that's not how it should work. Uh, and then... You know, you can make moral arguments for things that he does, uh, but then on other things about the economy or something like that, you know, like, I, I don't know anything about the economy. I don't know anything about foreign politics. I don't know anything about politics in general. Like, I, I don't exactly have as much of a place to talk about what Donald Trump should and shouldn't do in his life. I have to think about my own life first and not judge others as well, but we also have to submit to the authorities put over us. So let's think outside of government for a second. Think about your parents, okay? When I was younger... When I was younger, man, 
I always wanted to stay up late, you know? Everyone, anyone else want to stay up late? Like, you know, you, you want to stay up and you want to play video games? Like, I'd be like, Mom, I don't want to go to bed! You know, that's like the classic line. And Mom's like, let's go to bed. It's like 8 o'clock. I'm like, I want to stay up more. I want to stay up and play video games. I want to watch TV. I want to go eat more junk food. I want to do this. I want to do that. Let me stay up no matter what. Please, let me stay up. And she'll be like, no, you need to go to bed. Like, you need your sleep. You need to go to sleep. I'd be like, no, I want to stay up, I want to stay awake. And it'd, be, it'd come to the point where I would bargain with my mom. Ashley, you ever bargain with your mom in terms of like trying to stay up for bedtime? You're, you're, you, you guys are better behaved children than I ever was. So, uh, no, I'm just But uh, I would bargain with, I would literally bargain with, be like, if you let me stay up 30 more minutes, I'll clean my room tomorrow. And I may have not have cleaned my room in two years, but I'll clean my room tomorrow if you let me stay up 30 minutes. And it's like, what the, like, like just go to bed. And it's funny how, you know, back then I was fighting for time to stay up late, but then nowadays I'm fighting for time to go to sleep, you know. <laughs> I'm wanting to go to bed. I got homework to do, but I got I to stay up and do the homework, but I want to go to bed. Like, please let me sleep now, you know. Funny how times change. So uh, younger, younger folks, please enjoy your sleep while you have it uh, because it will not be there for very long. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, but we want to go above the authorities that are in our lives because we think that we know better and we think that we have this kind of uh, superior knowledge that we need this to happen. Well, God knows what we need better than we even know what we need. Solomon talks about that in Ecclesiastes. Like, man, man does not even know what he needs because God is the ultimate sovereign Lord who knows exactly what we need. And oftentimes, we look at our authorities, and we look at something they do, or something they tell us to do, or something they say, and we say, no, that's not right. I want it this way because this is better for me, or this is better even for uh, the world, or this is better for other people around me. But what place do we have to say that when God may have put that person in that authority for a very specific purpose and a very specific reason? Even if they're doing something bad to you. Notice what I just said there. Even if they're harming you, even if they're hurting you, there is a command to continue, to continue on honoring that person, to continue serving under that authority. In verse 18, it says, Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. Notice what Peter is saying there. He's saying, even the ones who treat you poorly, even people in, who are in authority over you that treat you poorly. You have a boss at work who always treats you poorly, holds you back from that raise that you deserve, is always giving you the weirdest hours that you can't ever make time for and you can't even have a life now because you just have this job that's eating you apart, but you still have to submit to your boss because he's your boss. And Peter is saying, even to the people who treat you poorly, you have to submit to those authorities. And for the Jews and the church that Peter is writing to, it's even more so effective, or not effective, but even more so impacting their lives because the people who are in authority over them are often persecuting them and killing them for their Christianity. And Peter is saying, well, you still need to submit to those authorities because God has put those authorities in your life for a specific reason and purpose. And you say to yourself, do we always have to do that? Do we always submit to our authorities? Like, is there ever a time where we don't submit to, to the authority put over us? 
I'll tell you what Paul writes in Romans. One, one occasion that you should not submit to the authorities put over you. And he says that that is when someone is trying to convince you to go against the word of God. Only then is the only time that we are called to go and overthrow, per se, our authorities. A lot of people look at the Revolutionary War of America, the War for Independence, and they want to, uh, some people say, like, why did America try and separate from Britain? Like, I don't know if they had any right to. People ask the question, did they have a biblical right to separate from Britain? And there's arguments going both ways, but the argument is that, well, if we can find a way in, from Romans 12 that uh, they are trying to convince us to go against the Word of God, then uh, they can separate. And so there's arguments that way. But if an authority is telling you to go against the Word of God, you should not follow that authority. You should not submit to that authority. Because God is your ultimate authority. And so you can trust, first and foremost, in the Word of God but then also trust in those that he has put above you. And so we submit to authorities. If we are unwilling to submit to the authorities that God has put up before us, and they may not be telling us to go against the word of God per se, then how are we going to be willing to submit to the one who is our ultimate authority? If we can't even listen to our parents, how are we ever going to listen to God? And that goes for me, too, because oftentimes my parents will tell me to do something, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, and then just completely go against it because I think my way is better. And that oftentimes leads me down a path of destruction, of folly, of foolishness. And so we have a call to be submissive to those put above us, that God has put above us. Second point, anybody want to take a guess on the second point, something suffering? Some kind of suffering. Anything? Any ideas? While I drink my coffee? With glee. No guesses? Nothing? Absolutely nothing. You guys are really tired today. <laughs> Ooh, that wasn't so good. I misspelled this last night. I, uh, Move that E to the end of the word. I know that doesn't look like an E, but that's an E. Um, but I moved that to the end of the word last night. Uh, so, yeah, interesting. So, purposeful suffering. Read with me. Uh, this is kind of the reasoning. So Peter is, has given us this command to, to submit under authorities, even in the midst of suffering. And you're, the people are probably reading this asking themselves, like, why? Well, Peter's glad you asked. So, he says in verse 19, For it brings favor if because of, of a consciousness of God someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is it, or what credit is there if when you do something, or when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Have you ever seen one of those like videos, uh, I, don't, I don't know, on like YouTube of people who are like, doing really just dumb stuff, and uh, they just end up hurting themselves, and it just kind of, it's sometimes funny to laugh at, too, uh, but, like, they did it to themselves. So I remember one specifically where, you know, you walk down a sidewalk in some cities, they have, like, pillars, that, I, don't, I don't know what they're called, but, like, they're, like, pillars made of some kind of hard material so that, like, cars don't drive into the sidewalk, and they're just lying down, and they protect the sidewalk. Anybody got, like, a, like a pylon? They're pylons, that's what they're called. 
the pylon. All right, so they're like concrete pylons, and they have the really skinny pylons on the sidewalk, and this dude is coming up to this pylon, and he takes his foot, he steps on the pylon, and he like gets up on the pylon. It's like really this like little skinny thing, and he steps up on it, puts his foot on it, he's standing there balancing, and then there's like a whole row of them, so he decides to like hop from one to the other. Like he's going crazy. He like hops to the one, and then he goes to the next, and then he goes to the next one, and he falls forward because he slips, and then the pylon is there, and yeah, he lands in a way that's not very pleasant and uh, and, and very joyful. Uh, Joe Church is like, I want to see this video. It sounds really funny. Um, so he hurt himself very badly. Uh, and I had the reaction that Joe Church had. I laughed at it. Why? <laughs> he put himself in that situation, right? Like he stood up there. He started walking. Like he knew the risk there when going to do that. And then he fell and hurt himself. Like, you can't really just, you can't really feel sorry for him because he did it to himself. But if someone just, like, was walking down the street and then, like, a car comes by and, and is, like, it is, is, like, splashes water all over him, you know, he, like, goes on the classic, like, run on the sidewalk or run by the sidewalk and there's a puddle of water and, just, and then, like, the person on the sidewalk just gets drenched, you know, it's like, okay, maybe I feel a little bad for them, you know? Like, they were just chilling, they were just walking, doing their thing, and then, the, and then you know, big splash of water, and now they uh, have ruined their clothes. And so, that'd be a bad day. And I'd probably feel a little worse than them than I do for the guy who ended up, I don't know, hurting himself very badly. Uh, yeah, so, Peter is making a similar argument here in the sense of suffering. Read it again, it says, for it brings favor if because of consciousness of God someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you do wrong you are beaten, you endure it. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. The one who is living unjustly in their life and suffers because of it, well, that person has it coming, in a sense. That person, you don't feel as bad for that person. We don't want anybody to suffer, but if this person is, is hurting other people and they're doing all these awful things and then they suffer for it, like, Peter's like, what, what does that matter for anyone? That's no, that, doesn't, that doesn't give you any credit. That's just, it's just meaningless. But for someone who is living for God, who is living towards that hope that he has given us and is suffering in light of that, is suffering because of that in an unjust manner, the suffering is unjust rather than his living. Well, God says that that counts as righteousness, that that counts as grace. And so there is a, a purpose to suffering. There is a reason for that suffering. And a lot of people ask me and other people uh, around me, actually someone asked me this question just last week, but uh, a lot of people ask the question, like, should Christians be suffering? Like, why, why do Christians suffer? Like, we're living for God, trying to be holy and trying to live a life in Christ, and we're suffering. You see all these, like, people, some days, you know, you know people who are super rich and are super wealthy, they're well off, they can have whatever they want, they live in super awesome areas, like maybe they live on the beach or something, like, I want to live, like, close to a beach, I want to go play sand volleyball. Uh, but, you know, you, you've got these people who are doing super well, it seems like they got all that in a bag of chips, and they're super happy, and they're doing great. But, like, they don't follow God. They're, like, atheists. They're, or they're completely other religions, and they don't follow God. But they have all this stuff. They're doing great. 
And then I'm here just trying to live my life for God and trying to follow God, and yet I'm suffering. Like, why is that fair? Why is that okay? Why is that okay? It's a question that plagues us and often uh, shows itself in the midst of suffering. When we do end up suffering, we think to ourselves, like, why, God? Why me? When a loved one dies unexpectedly, we think to ourselves, like, God, why why'd they have to die? Or when tragedy strikes in our lives, we question the goodness of God. We question the justness of God. We question whether God is really in control. In Matthew 10, however, Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples, and he says, if they're going to persecute me, the living God incarnate in the Son, if they're going to persecute me, how much better are they going to treat you, my disciples, my servants? They tortured, they beat, they mocked, and they killed and crucified Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. It's only natural, it's only completely natural that we would be suffering as Christ did. And you may not see that in your lives now, because oftentimes suffering in our lives now doesn't really look like suffering for this church. Most of the epistles in the New Testament, most of Paul's letters and most of the other epistles are written to churches who are in suffering, who are in persecution, who are dealing with backlash for their faith, for following Christ, who may be being beaten or dying, dying, there we go, for Christ. We don't really see that a lot in our culture today. It's pretty easy to get comfortable in our Christianity because we are able to be here and to pray and to worship and to read the Word without any sort of opposition when there's people on the other side of the world today, especially in northern India, that are just dying on a daily basis for their faith. How do we reconcile that being in America? Well, I would say that part of our trials and part of our job as Christians, as we have these opportunities, we have to take advantage of these opportunities. You don't just want to sit there and be like, oh my gosh, everyone's dying around the world, like I'm not doing enough to suffer, like I need to go suffer, like I need to go get beaten, I need to go get killed, like that's, that's not the answer. But God has put you in a specific position now and today in our life, even if it looks like a comfortable Christianity, to fight against that apathy, to fight against the comfortableness of Christianity, to go through the trial of being effective disciples in the midst of comfort. And that is part of what he has called us to live to today. But we suffer because we follow Christ. And that sounds like something that shouldn't be but it's for the glory of God. It's for the ability to say in verse 15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Who can question you as a follower in Christ if you are living rightly and you suffer? Who can question you then? Because then you are able to boast in who God is and what he has given you in Christ. And he gives us the perfect and most beautiful example of this through his son. And that's my third point is the suffering servant. There we go. Legible. Awesome. It's my highlight of the day. 
making legible handwriting for you guys. <laughs> Read with me in verse 21. It says, for you are called to this. Notice that there. You are called to this. It's not just something that's passive, that just happens in light of being in Christ. But we were called to this life in Christ in suffering because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow him in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus Christ was not in his home here on earth. He became flesh. He is God, the Son Incarnate in flesh here on earth. He literally condescended down into flesh. He made himself here on earth outside of his home. He was in heaven with God the Father. And he left to be with us, to live our life, to suffer and to expect or to uh, go through trials and temptations just as we have. And as he lived his life, he lived that outside his home but understanding the eternal weight of glory that God the Father had for him in the end after he would be crucified and be buried and raised. And so we see this ultimate example of suffering for the glory of God and putting our hope and our trust and our anxieties and fears in him who is in control of our suffering. Make an important, I'll make an important point here. We suffer under the control of God. And some of that, sometimes, for some of you, that can rub the wrong way. God is in control of our suffering. Does that make you feel queasy at all? Does that make you feel uneasy in any way? That God is in control of our suffering? You might say to yourself, well, does that mean God is putting suffering in my life? Does that mean He is putting me in positions where I'm going to suffer for my faith, for trusting in God? I trust in God, and in return, He gives me suffering? He is in control of the suffering because he's able to bring us through that suffering for the purpose that he would bring us through that suffering. Let me ask you this question. Imagine God is not in control of your suffering. What then? If God is not in control of the suffering we have as Christians today, that means as we are persecuted, as we are mocked or beaten or even killed as Christians, then our prayers... Our pleads to God to look towards Him as our hope, that doesn't mean anything. There's no value in it anymore if God is not in control of our suffering. And so we have to rejoice in the fact that He is in control of our suffering because we know that He will give us what we need. And it may not always be what we want. It may not always be something that is something that we think is good for us, but God knows what we need. And so he will lead us through suffering. I uh, went to Wisconsin last week, uh, and I was uh, with some of my family visiting my great-grandmother who lives up there. She's uh, 105 years old now. She just turned 105, so she's doing pretty well. Uh, I asked her when I first saw her, I was like, hey, what's, what's the secret to uh, living as long as you have? And she's like, don't die. I was like, oh, as simple as that. Well, um, Okay, 
all right, thanks, Grandma. Uh, just don't die. Hmm, all right. We'll, we'll see how that works. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, but I was visiting with family and friends, and a lot of my family uh, up there is uh, either Catholic. There's only a couple of them that are actually, like, following Catholicism uh, deeply, but the rest of them are just, like, Catholic by name or Protestant by name or whatever. I would probably see them as atheist or agnostic because I don't really think that they have uh, a faith. I don't see that lived out. And so when you go see family, like, what do you do? You, you see someone you haven't seen in a while. You're like, hey, how's it going? And then what do you do? You talk to them, right? You tell them how life's going. You tell them what's up. If you're in high school, people, your family members probably ask you, hey, uh, you thinking about college yet? Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to uh, go try and be? And so uh, these questions come up like, hey, are you in school? Yeah, I'm at Cedarville University. What are you trying to study? Oh, I'm uh, in biblical studies. I'm uh, trying to study to become a pastor. And it's like, oh. I see. And so they, like, have this change of demeanor <laughs> almost. It's weird. It's like sometimes they'll try and hide it and be like, oh, that's sweet. Like, that's nice. But you know it's, like, completely fake. Like, you know it's just like, like oh, okay, whatever. And then there's, like, a, a difference in how they treat me from then on. And so uh, you have oftentimes, like, when I'm with my family, it'll often be that they will uh, make jokes about God or about Christianity or about the church. They'll make jokes about, uh, be, about pastors as well. And, you know, they're just trying to be all fun and games. But at the same time, they're making jokes and making remarks and making comments that really just put me down as someone who's trying to go into the ministry by the calling of God. It makes me question, like, I'm standing up here trying to preach the Word of God. Like, does that mean anything anymore? I'm just being ridiculed for it. And obviously, this isn't some kind of, like, radical example of suffering. Like, I'm not over here, like, in tears, bawling, crying my eyes out. Like, oh my gosh, they made fun of me. They made fun of the pastor. Ah. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm okay. But uh, it can just kind of bring this example together of, the fact that if we're living in Christ, like people will have a reaction to that. And sometimes they react in faith, but a lot of times they react with mocking and persecution. You're at school, you believe in God, maybe you read your Bible, and you're the Jesus freak. Or you're the, the, the weird one, like the religious kid. You're the pastor's kid. And it becomes like this awkward situation where it feels like you can't even interact with people in a normal way because you live for Christ. But God promises that He will bring us through that and He will bear fruit from our suffering. I, uh, my professor in Greek, uh, he uh, is a pastor at his local church and he uh, just did two funerals this past weekend. Um, and he also has the flu, so he's really not doing that good. Uh, but he, before one of the elderly ladies that was um, going to pass away in her hospital bed, she was there, and he went to go visit her and pray with her. And uh, she was a very, very uh, humble woman of God, and she was laying there, and he was, like, talking to her and was like, going to pray for her. And she looks at him intently. It's like Trent. That's his name. Trent Rogers is his name. Points at, points at him and says, Trent, don't you just pray that I would feel better or that I would get better. Pray that people would see Christ 
in what is happening to me. And as she suffered in her illness and her disease and passed away, she made sure that people knew that she was a follower of Christ. She knew that God has a greater purpose for her life and ultimately her death. And we can rejoice in that in our lives. He will bring us through our sufferings for a greater purpose to demonstrate His glory and His will to those around us. So let's live in faith towards that end. Let's live in faith going towards that eternal weight of glory that God has for us in heaven instead of trying to live comfortably in our home now. Whatever sufferings it may be in our lives, let's live in such a way that we can proclaim Christ even when times are tough and even when we feel like all is lost. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you give us, God. God, thank you that you are in control of our lives and that you are in control of the issues and sufferings and problems that we face. Because you can make a wonderful and awesome thing happen out of even the worst, most possible situations. God, I pray that you would allow us to live in Christ and to continue seeking your glory, remembering that you have prepared a home for us. So give us motivation because of that to live in this place that is not our home. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.